Welcome to the HMO Success Podcast. My name's Wendy, and this podcast will help you invest in houses of multiple occupation. One of the hot topics for HMOs in 2021 is council tax rebanding. So I, I today, Wendy Weekly is all about council tax rebanding. And uh, has this affected you? Do you know somebody that this has affected or is affecting? And if so, I would love to hear from you. I'd love to hear your stories. I'd love to hear your situation. Uh, I've been contacted over the last few days by a number of people, a flurry of people about council tax rebanding. Um, and uh, it's been really interesting for me. I'm gathering information, I'm gathering evidence from all quarters of the UK about what's happening uh, because there's a lot of inconsistency going on around council tax rebanding. And I think as HMO investors or potential HMO investors, we should be aware of what the situation is. I'm also going to share with you a story of uh, one of my clients who went through uh, a whole process with the valuation office. Uh, He appealed and he won the case. Uh, And I think that this is something which, again, is something that we should be aware of, is that the valuation office will run an appeal. Uh, They have an appeal system that you can utilise to, you know, if you if you don't agree with it. So has your HMO been rebanded? Do you know somebody whose HMO is being rebanded for council tax? And uh, if that is you, or if you know somebody, has it put you off? Are you now feeling, oh, I don't really know if, if I should invest in HMOs because the cost of that extra council tax is going to wipe out all my profits? I'd really like to know from you. So please put your message in the chat panel. Um, If you want to ask me a question, please put that below. And, you know, I'll I'll take as many questions as I can on the topic today. Um, It's a really important topic. I think that this is going to have a very big impact on uh, on HMO landlords if we don't take some proactive action about it. Um, I've got a couple of phone calls today and tomorrow with people who have either been affected by the HMO rebanding or they are talking to the government about this right now. Um, so uh, let me just give you a, a quick overview. If you're new to HMOs or you're new to the whole um, sort of council tax rebanding situation, uh, what, what's the current situation? Well, as you know, in, in you know, British law, we have an awful lot of different uh, legal positions. And of course, a normal uh, property, a C3, is one which um, is a normal domestic dwe- dwelling, a normal domestic residence. And that will be banded for council tax. Now, this goes back to um, a law many, many moons ago, uh, which was the Local Government Act, which uh, was really all about rates. When I was a child, we didn't have council tax, we had rates. You might remember having rates. Your parents might have talked about the rates that they had to pay. Now, those rates were to pay for street lighting, bin collection, um, you know, repairs to the roads, etc. And though those that rateable system had been instigated in the 1960s. Now, Fast forward to the early 1980s and when Margaret Thatcher was in power, when she was our prime minister, she brought in the idea of the poll tax. Now, you might remember the poll tax. I vaguely remember the poll tax. And when it was introduced, it was there was uproar. The idea behind the poll tax was rather than you being taxed or rated per property, 
you'd be rated by your individual habitable status. So the tax was no longer dependent on the property, it was dependent on you as an individual. So you would have a family where maybe there were five adults living there, they may all be related, and they would each have a poll tax. Now, that was massively fought against uh, in the early 1980s. Lots and lots of people uh, you know, rallied against it, railed against it, and said, no, no, we don't want the poll tax, this is unfair. Uh, we might all be living in a council house or a terraced house and suddenly you're saying to us, oh, we have to, five of us pay uh, the rates that is due on one small property. So poll tax got disbanded and instead we had a new tax, which was council tax. So council tax was brought in and this was levied against the property. And this is, of course, why we have big properties lived in by, you know, one or two people. You know, an elderly person might be living in a four bedroom detached property, but they pay the same amount. Of course, they get a bit of a discount for being a single person, but their council tax is exactly the same uh, as, a, as somebody who's in a four bedroom detached property. And there might be five adults living there. Now, of course, the five adults living in one property takes up more council services than one adult living in a property. And that's why you have the single person discount, because the council recognises that as a single person, you'll be uh, using less of their facilities than, you know, if there are five of you in one property. But despite all of that, it still isn't particularly a fair system. You know, if we're talking about fairness, council tax is not one of those that you'd put in the bucket of this is a fair system. Let's talk about HMOs. So when you buy and refurbish an HMO, that HMO still is a single dwelling. Um, if it's less than uh, seven bedrooms, so if it's six bedrooms or fewer, it would be a C4 property. And if you've been on any of my training courses, <laughs> you'll know that we, we talk a lot about the planning classes and how to make sure that your property is in the right planning class and how to you know, have the advantage of different planning classes. Um, but C4 property is the, 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 the kind of typical HMO planning class. That still only requires one council tax banding. And most HMOs, the majority of HMOs, only have one council tax bill because they're counted as being a bit like that house where you might have five adults living there who are related and therefore they all pay one, they almost share in the one lot of council tax. So we now have HMOs where traditionally they've only had one banding, one lot of council tax. And in law, it is the responsibility of the landlord to pay that council tax. So generally, if, uh, if you own your, your HMO, you will be responsible for paying the council tax on that building as well. If it's a student HMO, students are exempt from HMO. Uh, certain other people are exempt from HMO as well. Uh, sorry, from council tax as well. Um, unemployed people don't have to pay council tax. Um, there are discounts available as well uh, for single people, but for other, other people as well, and certain types of benefits. So council tax has some, uh, you know, um, characteristics which can reduce the amount of council tax that you pay, but still your property is what's called rateable. Going back to that original ratings phase, your property has a rateable value. And in every council, every local council will have a number of different bands. So your, your property may be band A, B, C, D, E, F, or I think G is the highest. And those bands haven't really been altered for probably 20 years. 
And of course, the government doesn't really want to get into rebanding or altering those bans because there's always a lot of uproar about it because it's one of those taxes which, you know, we don't want to pay, do we? We pay enough taxes as it is. Who wants to pay more tax? Nobody. So there's always an uproar when, when, when governments decide to kind of mess around with taxes. And uh, I think this is one they want to leave well alone. So what do we, what, what does, what's the situation we find ourselves in right now? So because we have five or six adults living in one property, um, councils have taken it upon themselves, along with the valuation office, to start to consider whether these individuals who are living pretty much separate lives, albeit under one roof, should take responsibility for a share of the costs of bins, road repairs, lighting, and all the council services that they have access to. And therefore, there has been a gradual increase in the number of HMOs that are being developed where the council have then been reporting these to the valuation office and suggesting that they get rebanded. Now, I've been reading quite a lot of case law on this because there have been a number of, uh, of appeals, there have been a number of challenges to whether uh, that's a correct application of the law or not. And uh, I think it's really important that we understand how a property or how a room could be rated, you know, because it goes back to whether it is a rateable unit of accommodation. So I've done some research on this and discovered that for a unit of accommodation to be rateable, in other words, to be uh, able to have its own uh, council tax applied, um, it has to be something called a hereditament. This is an old fashioned word, which basically means something that can be inherited. So to have a rateable unit of accommodation, it has to be hereditary. It has to be a hereditament. And what is a hereditament? What does this actually mean? Well, it was redefined in the 1992 Local Government Act. And what the Local Government Act said was that a hereditament was something that could be rateable. So you kind of find yourself going round and round in this rather never-ending circle. What is rateable? A hereditament. What is a hereditament? It is something which can be rateable. So there's a bit of a circuitous argument. And of course, this is where those of us who are not used to dealing with the legal side or we're not experts in dealing with the legal side of property can get a bit confused and it can become you know, a, a legal nightmare, a legal ball of wool. But the hereditament uh, defines a, a habitable residence as something which has four characteristics. And I'm actually just going to get up my notes on this one so I can read this out and be completely accurate with you what those are. Now, you might think, good grief, Wendy, you've gone into this in some detail. And I absolutely have. And the reason I've gone into this in some detail is because I feel, as you know, if you follow me and you've listened to my, <laughs> my posts and my lives, I can get a bit hot under the collar about issues to do with government, tax and property. We provide a great service to our tenants. You provide a great service to your tenants. I'm sure that you make sure that they are in a clean, tidy, well-kept uh, environment. You make sure that the fire safety is up to standard. You make sure that their health and safety is good. You've, if you've been following me over the last year, you might have had our COVID safety pack. Uh, if you haven't, please put a message below and I'll send you out one. I just need your email address. Um, so we've done loads this year to help 
landlords, to help HMO landlords particularly with keeping things COVID secure, COVID friendly, how to make your HMO COVID friendly. So we're on the forefront of developing HMOs that really work in this environment. And I get quite cross when I feel that the government is starting to chip away at business and stop us from making a good living out of this particular asset class. I think it's unfair and I think they'll come to regret it in the end. <clears throat> Excuse me. So the four, um, the four parts of what makes something rateable. Um, there's four, what they call four ingredients of rateable occupation. Number one, there must be actual occupation. So in other words, somebody actually has to live there. Number two, there must be beneficial occupation. In other words, you get a benefit from living there. Number three, there has to be exclusive occupation. And number four, non-transient occupation. So these are the four tests that a, a tribunal will apply when they're looking to see whether your HMO and your HMO rooms have those four characteristics. It really doesn't matter whether they have en suites. It really doesn't matter if they have kitchenettes. I have seen HMOs rebanded room by room where they're just a bedroom. They don't even have to have furniture in them. Okay, so any of, even just a room that has those four characteristics, which is actual, beneficial, exclusive, and non-transient, if those are the four tests and they meet the four tests, that can be a, a hereditament, a rateable unit of accommodation. So, this then means that really many, many, many HMO rooms are able to be rated. Now, in the, how, how did this, um, so how did my client uh, get round this situation? So I'll, I'll, I'll come back to those four, uh, those, those four characteristics in a moment. But let me just tell you the, the story about my client. So um, this is a client who's based in Yorkshire and he started to invest in HMOs last year. Uh, he's on my mentoring program and he wanted to really grow his portfolio. So he was starting to think about where he could invest and where would be a good place to buy a property. And he found a really ideal property. It's a three bed terraced house, but a really spacious one. You know, one that you kind of look at from the outside and think, how can that have three bedrooms? And it was really spacious and ideal for HMO. And he developed it into a six bed HMO and all of the rooms have en suites. Now, as I recommended to him right early on in the process, I said, contact your local council and speak to the licensing officer just to find out what you need to uh, fit into the HMO to make sure it meets regulations. So that's what he did. When she came out to view the property, uh, she looked around the property and gave him some advice and they looked at the fire standards and uh, he made sure that his specification of all the work that was going to be done was up to standard. Brilliant. Then she emailed him about a week later to say, as a result of seeing your HMO, I'm going to recommend that all the rooms are rebanded for council tax. Now, at this point, he nearly fell off his chair in horror. <laughs> because you can imagine, suddenly, the, the development that he's been doing uh, becomes much, much less feasible if he's now going to have to pay to council tax on top of it. And this is, of course, the challenge that many of you, and, and I haven't yet faced, but many people have been facing. So I then worked with him and we, we devised a plan of action. And this is where I started to do my research and deep dive into this. So we, we fought the case on a number of different points. Number one was the pragmatic approach. In other words, 
uh, if, for example, the tenants uh, wanted to claim single person council tax, that they would have to start paying the council tax themselves, which would mean that the landlord wouldn't be paying the council tax and it would be much harder for the council to collect that council tax because there's a much higher turnover of individuals in HMOs. We also argued from the point of view of the, uh, the layout that they had a shared kitchen. So they had en suites, but they were having a shared kitchen, which means that uh, each of these is not self-contained. However, the evaluation office refuted that. And it's true that if you look in case law, you don't have, a self, you don't have to have a self-contained unit of accommodation to uh, make something rateable. Uh, it doesn't have to be self-contained at all. So, which, is, which I think is a very important point. And this is where the risk comes in for HMOs. So even if you have non-self-contained accommodation, so even if you have a shared kitchen and shared bathrooms, your rooms could still fall into the rateability test. They could still meet the rateability test and still be liable for council tax. So um, we, we, we put forward this argument. And then the last piece of the puzzle that I, I suggested that we also argue on is the non-transient part. You see, my contention is that many HMO tenants don't stay long term in a property. They're there for a few months at most. And there was a case that came up um, in 2013 where um, there was a, 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 a test, there was a, um, an appeal made against a council who had tried to put council tax on a boat, a houseboat. And in the final summing up of this particular case, um, it turns out that the boat was capable of being licensed, uh, sorry, of being, of being taxed, of being rateable, and council tax was applied. Now, this was a houseboat, so it wasn't a room in an HMO, it was, it was some, but it was somebody's home. And this is what the judge said. A boat is capable of constituting a dwelling, so the argument was, is this a dwelling, and therefore is it rateable? A boat is capable of constituting a dwelling if the four ingredients of rateable occupation are satisfied. So those are the ones of actual beneficial, exclusive and non-transient occupation. Now, this is a really interesting point, And this is one which uh, I'm going to be doing a bit of work on and finding out a bit more about. This is what the judge said. The matter of the occupation being not too transient cannot be ignored. The occupation must have the character of permanence. That's what he said. The occupation must have the character of permanence. Rateable occupation does not arise for a resident who is only occupying for a matter of days or weeks or even months. The occupier must have put down some roots which tie him or her to indefinite occupation and make him a settler in the property rather than a wayfarer passing by. Now, this is really critical because for me, HMOs give people semi-permanent accommodation, but many of them do not live there permanently. Many of my tenants are there for a few months. Our average length of tenancy is about 21 months. Now, that's reasonably permanent, but it is by no means permanent in the way that, let's say, a single buy-to-let would be, where the majority of my tenants stay for maybe six or seven years. We, we've got tenants who have been with us for about 10 years in our single buy-to-lets. HMOs are just not the same as that. HMOs do not provide permanent accommodation. They're ideal for 
you might call short to medium term accommodation. Now that is not permanent. That is transient accommodation according to this case. So I argued with my client to put this in his letter. <laughs> and this was great because he, he, the letter was about three, 3,000 words long. And I think probably the council who he wrote to and the valuation office were like blown away by this because they thought, wow, you know, we're, we're going to struggle to fight this case. Within two days of sending that letter, he had a phone call from the valuation office. The valuation officer, called the listings officer, phoned him up and said, please, could you send me a floor plan of the property? They sent, he sent across a floor plan of the property and he said uh, immediately, the valuation officer said, we are going to uh, refute this extra banding. We're gonna turn it right back to a one banded property. So the six council taxes, which he was paying up until then, costing him you know, 600 pounds extra per month. The valuation office said, we're gonna, we're gonna, we're gonna respond by um, removing that. And from now on, you only have to pay one lot of council tax. So it was a fantastic win for him. And he's now in the process of getting the refund from the council for about four months where he had to pay six lots of council tax. So this was a really important win. And last year, there was another landlord who went through the whole uh, appeal process. In fact, I think he went before a tribunal and he also won his case. Now, interestingly, his case was uh, argued on the basis of the layout of the property, that the properties, that the, the individual rooms were not habitable. They were not self-contained and therefore they shouldn't attract individual council tax. So I think there is some confusion at the valuation office about whether rooms are rateable as to whether they're self-contained or not. And it seems to me that it depends on which listings officer you're dealing with as to how they interpret those guidelines. Now you can go on the website and um, if you look, if you search on valuationtribunal.gov.uk, there is a manual. Now I warn you, it's pretty long. Uh, you know, it's, it's bedtime reading for the best of us. Um, but it will give you some guidance about what to do if you want to appeal your council tax rebanding. Now, there are some very strict deadlines. And this was another point in the appeal that my client made to the valuation office, that the valuation office and the council had not stuck to their own processes. They had stuck to the timelines. The timelines weren't in question. But one of the aspects of rebanding increasing the banding on a property, not decreasing, but increasing the valuation on a property or the banding on a property, um, is that there has to be a visit. So a listings officer has to actually attend the property and see the layout of the property. And this didn't happen. Now, this is really vital because one of the ways in which we as normal citizens of the UK have a right to appeal against judgments that are made against us is if somebody doesn't follow the correct process. It might be that the, the outcome is in fact correct, but if they don't follow the correct process, that is a, a really important part of the law. So following the correct process in terms of applying the rules from the valuation office or from the council is a, a really important that we understand what that is. And if you look at that guide, it will tell you what the correct process is that they need to follow to reband rooms. They need to follow the timescales and they need to follow the actual step by steps, which they've laid out that they will follow. And if they don't, you can appeal against the process that was 
adopted to reband those rooms. So good news for my client is he won the case and he now has gone back to having one council tax for six rooms. Those six rooms are obviously still en suite and there's a shared bathroom. Sorry, a shared kitchen, I should say, shared kitchen. But what does this mean for you? What, what does it mean for us in terms of rebanding of, of HMO rooms? Well, I think it, what it means is, first of all, we have to get educated about this. If you are developing a large HMO in particular, it seems to be uh, much more prevalent if you're developing a property that is six beds or more. And if you're developing a property six beds or more, uh, maybe going through the planning process, uh, you're much more likely for the, 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 the council officer to um, escalate your case, your property to the valuation office. Now, at that stage, uh, that, that person, the, the, the council officer who has um, escalated the case to the valuation officer, uh, you should start to take some detailed notes about what's said and how it is said and when it is said keep a real record, a really good record of uh, what, what information you get from the council because they have to apply to the valuation office within a certain time scale to have your property rebanded. And if they fall out of that time scale, um, and I, I believe that that time scale is three months, uh, if it is a, a brand new property or a, a property that you have just bought, or it's six months if you have redeveloped the property. So if the council, um, what's sometimes called an interested person or an interested party, and they're, they're of course interested because why do you think they're interested? Because it's more tax. Um, but if that interested party is uh, going to send the information up to the valuation office for rebanding, they have to do it within those t deadlines. So it's really important that you keep a note of what those correspondence uh, dates are with the local council. Secondly, um, the, the process needs to be followed correctly from the valuation office. And if the valuation office do not come and do a visit to your property, they don't evaluate the property, they don't ask for the floor plans, they don't actually look at the property to see whether it is um, liable for rebanding, then that is a very significant point, which will also enable you to appeal or certainly to complain. They have to stick to their own processes and procedures. And if they don't, then that immediately gives you a reason to address that and to fight back against it. The third point, the, uh, if, 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 this, uh, if this, of course, um, uh, you know, escalates to the point where uh, it looks very likely that you're going to have your HMO rebanded from council tax, um, the argument about non-transient occupation I think is a very, very important one. And uh, the case that I, I cite here, uh, which is Reeves versus Northrop 2013, for your reference, um, it's very clear that non-transient occupation um, is a, a key part, in other words, permanent occupation is a key part of that definition. And I think this is, again, being ignored by the valuation office. Maybe they haven't seen this. This was, of course, regarding a boat, but nevertheless, the same tenets, the same uh, kind of um, principles apply to HMOs. So that is my, uh, not very brief, but my overview about the, the legal situation regarding rebanding of rooms in HMOs. Um, the other area of this, uh, in terms of how why I'm getting involved in this 
and, and probably it's going to be a little bit of a fight, I would imagine, but that's okay, I'm up for a fight. Um, one of the reasons why I'm also really interested in this is because it's being done so indiscriminately. So my client knows that there are other properties within his investing area that have been rebanded for HMOs. They have had five, six, seven levels of council tax applied, and yet his didn't happen. The banding officer said, no, it's okay, we're not going to, you know, valuation officer, we're not going to reband your rooms. Now, the law is not something that should be applied indiscriminately. It should be consistent. It should be applied correctly and, and consistently. So this is a, another point that I'm really feeling quite, uh, you know, aggressive about. Um, it's not fair that somebody has an HMO five doors down from me and has had all their rooms rebanded because it puts me in an advantageous position to have rooms that have not been rebanded. So this completely affects the marketplace. And I think that uh, we as HMO landlords need to be educated about it. We need to understand that there is this risk, but I think we also need to band together. And I'm very happy to coordinate and to, to look at this issue as we go through 2021. Tomorrow, I've got a conversation with somebody who is actually meeting um, Secretary of State for Housing, I, I believe it's Robert Jenrick, um, to talk about this issue. Um, but I think if, it's, if this is something that's affected you, please get in touch with me. Please let me know. I'll keep you informed as to what I'm doing and what's happening with this. Um, but as far as I'm concerned, it's a really important issue that's affecting HMOs. And if we don't raise this, if we don't talk about it, if we don't discuss it, then we can't come up with a a concerted solution. Now, what I would say is we know that this government is not particularly on the side of landlords. Uh, since George Osborne introduced Section 24, we know that there is definitely a um, you know, pressure on landlords, pressure on property investors uh, through taxes, um, through licensing, uh, through as many different ways and routes as they can, uh, they are putting pressure on the private rental sector. I think this will backfire in the end because we're going to see many more people being made homeless and of course we're going to see rents go up. So it's, it's unwise of what the government are doing but I think we have to be savvy and realise that the government, if they get whiff of the idea that some HMOs are being rebanded and some are not, it's possible that they might issue a, a change to the law and say all HMO rooms have to be rebanded, which will be disaster. So we've got to play this carefully. We've got to play this uh, with, with kind of savvy intelligence so that what we're doing is arguing our case strongly, not just simply defending our position, but actually making some proactive suggestions as to how this inequitous situation can be addressed. And one of the best comparisons I would have is a house where you have five adults living, a terraced house with three or four bedrooms and there are five related adults. That house only pays one council tax. Why is it then that a house two doors down with five unrelated adults who are living probably identically, they have five levels of council tax. In my view, the, the residential accommodation with five related adults should pay the same as the residential accommodation with five unrelated adults. Putting the one with unrelated adults just because it's an HMO onto five lots of council tax is inequitous and should be stopped immediately. There needs to be a different approach. So 
Please, if this has affected you or other people, please share the video with them. Please uh, come back to me if you have any questions. Uh, if I can help you in some way, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to help you. I'd love to uh, give you some of my uh, research and the documentation that I've been looking at to, to help us as HMO landlords, because I want you to have a profitable HMO business. And I'm here to help you do that. Um, as I said, on our training, we offer in-depth education and training for people who are looking to develop their HMOs. And part of that is some of this, you know, rather kind of uh, immediate and, and uh, fast knowledge that we bring to the table. Uh, and we try and stay ahead of the curve, ahead of the trends, so we can help you on your journey to developing your business. I uh, look forward to speaking to you very much. And uh, thank you very much for listening today. And I shall speak to you, if not before... Next Thursday, Wendy Weekly Live. Take care, have a great week. Thank you for listening to the HMO Success Podcast. If you'd like to know more about how you can create a profitable HMO business, please visit our website, hmosuccess.co.uk, to find out more. We have plenty of free tools and information for you there, and also on our Facebook group, The Ultimate HMO Success System. We look forward to connecting with you very soon. Thanks for listening.